Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Log Talk Radio. a fly ball, deep to left, down the line, could be, going, going, and it is gone for a home run for David Wright. Took him out swinging. Slider away. Tanaka tonight has struck out 10 and walked one. I mean, that's pretty darn good, huh? Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Gotham Baseball Live. And it's time once again for what I think is the best time of the of best time of the year, and that is the beginning of baseball season. The Super Bowl is over, thankfully. And uh, yeah, I say that because I had the Niners and the under. So <laughs> the less said about that is the better. But uh, we've got a great show on tap for you today, and it's been a long time uh, since we have done the show, but uh, we're bringing it back. Of course, uh, now you might have uh, heard that. Um, there's going to be a new book coming out called Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team. It comes out on April 6th, 2020, which coincides with the 15th anniversary of Gotham Baseball. So uh, I'm really excited about the release of the book. I'm really looking forward to it. Marty Appel, our good friend, baseball historian, best-selling author, and former Yankee PR director. Marty does the foreword. Uh, award-winning graphic designer and artist Todd Radham designed the uniforms and designed the book cover. And our good buddies uh, John Panisi did the uh, illustrations and Bill Menzel did the photos, uh, along with uh, a lot of great photos from the Baseball Hall of Fame. So really looking forward to the release of the book. And, um, you know, we'll be doing a lot more podcasts leading up to uh, the book release and, and letting you uh, letting you folks know about what kind of events we'll have coming up uh, as the season unfolds. Got a really couple of exciting things in the works, so really looking forward to that. But that brings us to, to, to today's show, and I'm really looking forward to uh, talking with John Cangelosi. You know, not only did he play for the New York Mets, he also played for the Chicago White Sox, Pittsburgh Pirates, and was on that 1997. Florida Marlins team that won an unlikely championship. So we're really excited. Uh, He's got a book uh, that's been released. It's called The Improbable Baseball Journey of the Undersized Kid from Nowhere. And uh, John has just been one of those guys that, uh, if you know me, and uh, if you follow uh, my accounts, you know that you know, John is one of those players that, uh, you know, I just absolutely love. And we're very lucky that he's joining us now uh, on the program. John, uh, welcome to Gotham Baseball. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> well, you know, I really enjoyed uh, reading the book because I remember, you know, before we get to all the other teams that you played for, I remember when you came on board with the Mets. And I was really kind of, because I had followed your career, and, you know, you're my kind of player, as you might have heard me say in the intro here, Um, you know, just, you know, 
stealing bases, getting on base, playing really good defense. And that's kind of the thing that, you know, the, the New York Mets at that point in time in 1994, when you joined the club, uh, it's kind of what they needed. And yet they had a guy sitting right there, you know, that could do all those things. And they just never, Dallas Green just never really, I guess, warmed up to you. And you talk about it in the book. But um, I just wanted you to know that I was one of more than a few Met fans that really wanted to see you play on a regular basis there. I appreciate it. I, I you know, one, I'm, I, for the fans that don't know, I, I was born in, in New York and lived in Brooklyn. And at the age of five, my parents moved to Miami. But I love playing there. All my cousins and relatives still live in the area. And, and yeah, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know what it was, man. Dallas Green just uh, – it wasn't like we were in first place or anything. We were in a rebuilding stage. And when I played, I performed well. And uh, for whatever reason, he just he didn't take a liking to me. And, and um, uh, I was the number one guy off the bench. My numbers proved I was in like 270. Um, I think I was in over 300 as a starter and with minimal time playing. And then around all-star break, right before the strike, he wanted to send me down. And I'm like, <clears throat> what, what's the purpose for it, Dallas? And he couldn't give me an answer. So I, I said, you know what? I, I um, That's when I asked for my release. And uh, I think a week later, the strike hit. So uh, unfortunately, I, I didn't get the playing time I wanted there. And I never complained about playing time. I, I knew my role with other teams and, and uh, I was happy to try to do the best I could, whatever role I was putting. But for whatever reason, that situation with the Mets, man, it just, it hit a chord with me because I was performing and playing well. And Dallas Green just, he just did not like me for whatever reason. Well, you know, um, Dallas, you know, God rest his soul, Dallas was like that with some players, you know, especially on that Mets team. And plus, you know, you had a guy uh, at, at that time at, at AAA, you know, Bobby Valentine was there, and he was, a, he was a John Cangelosi fan, so it was too bad that you weren't there a couple of years later when they finally fired Dallas and Bobby was the manager, you know. Because right, right, right. And, and I, then, I know yeah, Bobby loved Bobby you when you were me. with uh, Texas. Yeah. Right. In 92, he, uh, a funny story here. Uh, he, he kept me over. I was a non roster player in 92 and, uh, Gary Pettis was guaranteed a million, a million dollars at the time. And they ate that contract and made room for me with the roster spot. And again, I knew my role. I, I was there for defense for Kevin Reimer. He, uh, he couldn't catch a freaking cold in the outfield. So I pretty much, I was in like 80 games. And only had like seventy at bats because I was go I would go in the seventh inning after his at bat and play defense and I was pretty much a, just a defensive role um, for Bobby. And then one one day I go in his office. I'm like, hey Bobby, I, I just first of all I want to appreciate the opportunity. I, I go, I just you know I, I know I'm a better player than what I'm showing offensively. I said it's just really really hard for me, you know, to be a utility player in the American League because. I mean, I, I'll have one at bat tonight, and I won't have another one for two weeks. You know what I mean? I said, it's just really difficult. He goes, Candy, as long as I'm here, you're here. Don't even worry about it. You know what I mean? I, I got you for a reason. And two days later, they fired him. <laughs> right. <laughs> I read that in the and book. Then, that was a good chapter. Yeah, two two days later, they fire him. I'm like, shit. And then I, I, had, I go to the park one day, and Toby Air calls me in his office, and he goes, Candy, get we're going to reassign you. I'm like, nah, I said, I got five. I'm a five-year player. I, I said, I appreciate it, but I'm just going to, I'll go somewhere else. 
you know. So, and that's how that happened. But Bobby Valentine was a great man, great baseball guy. Yeah, I uh, I I share that opinion. I also share the the birthplace of Brooklyn with you too. So you know, when I when I was sent the book, um, I was excited. You know, I really wanted to read it because I was always, you know, I mean, you know, when you're a, a player like yourself who, you know, probably should have gotten a lot more chances to play, given the way. And and it's funny. I think in the Moneyball era, you would have been. Um, you know, right. when 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 you look at what you bring to the table as far as. Uh, you know, your on-base percentage was always consistently high uh, during the course of your career. And you're right. You were a much better player in the National League because your, your, uh, you know, your ability, uh, you know, great defense, great base running, uh, on-base, getting on-base on, on, a, on a very regular clip, uh, you'd be perfect for a lot of the teams right now in, in, in Major League. So I'm sorry that I'm bringing it up. But, you know, no, they no always work. say timing is everything, you know, and, and – you would have been a perfect player in the Moneyball era because of all the things that you did well. Right. I mean, they're, um, I can't remember the scout's name, but they, uh, he pulled up a stat because they, they were in the winter meetings a couple of years ago, and they were like, uh, they were comparing, um, they said, who was the best leadoff hitter or blah, blah, blah. And they brought up Brett Butler. And the guy goes, you know what? He he goes, yeah. He was an everyday player. He did this. He did that. But the 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 guy that I'm thinking of right now, and they Google my name or they did something, and they said this guy could get on base anytime he wanted. And that was they were referring to me, you know. And they pulled up a stat, and I know I'm going to butcher it, but I'm I'm in the top ten and on base percentage as far as with two thousand. At bats or more, I am like one of the highest on base percent or getting on base ratio in in, in major league history. So I'm in like the top ten with two thousand at bats or more. I know I'm butchering it, but that that was the the logist of the conversation. That's that's okay. We we're we're, we're not statistically uh, inclined here because I hate math, but I don't have I don't <laughs> need a, a calculator to figure out. Just looking at your stat sheet and just looking at what you did, and plus I saw you play. I mean I I saw you play the majority of your career. I mean, you know you're you're a player that I always followed. There was something about you I always liked. You're a, you know I'm half Italian. You're Italian. You know there was a lot of things about you. I played center field when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't have a tremendous amount of power, but I was a switch hitter. So I always followed players like you so I was really excited right, when I right. got the book and and I was excited that you wrote it um what what let's talk about that for a second um okay you know, what what made you what what was your inspiration to write the book and what was your reaction when I mean was it your well, idea or did somebody approach you no or? no uh first of all I want to you know thank KP for doing a, a, a an outstanding job with the book a friend of mine I I'm partners with Bo Jackson in a baseball facility. I'm an owner of a, a sports complex in Chicago right now. And one of my clients happened to be a friend of KP or something. And KP, when the, the guy was talking to KP about me, he goes, you know what? I really, I like that story. Um, would John be willing to sit down with me on a, a few occasions so I could write a book about his story? And I was flattered. I'm like, of course, you know. So it wasn't my idea. It basically was through a third party, a mutual friend, brought my name up, and um, KP contacted me, and then the rest is history. We would we would sit down and 
over the phone about, you know, once or twice a week for a couple months, and he did a lot of history. He did all the legwork, so I really appreciate, and, and he did a great job with the book. Uh, we're talking with John Cangelosi. Uh, the book is The Improbable Baseball Journey of the Undersized Kid from Nowhere. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I, I always, you know, when I, before I sit down and read a book, I remember when certain guys played, you know, and I, I, I think about their career and I say to myself, what am I going to learn from this book, you know, that I didn't already know? And one of the things that was really interesting to me, and you may not want to talk about it, but uh, I'm going to ask anyone because <laughs> that's what I do because I'm irritating like that. But, um, you know, the whole Jim Fergosi episode in Chicago where you went from being a guy that, you know, really was, you know, a favorite under La Russa, to a guy, you know, and LaRusso really gave you your 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 first break. Um, yeah. And then, and then to have it, you know, turn so poorly with a guy like who's you know Jim, an, another uh, uh, you know baseball guy. Pies on the on. You go figure. You know? Yeah, exactly. I I I, I couldn't <laughs> understand. Like when I was reading it, I couldn't believe it. So can you can you share a little bit of the frustration yeah. uh, about that? Um, it, yeah. It, first of all, <clears throat> you know. For the listeners out there, I'm a I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I'm easy to get along with. I'm I'm the furthest thing from being selfish. So, you know, I I just didn't understand those two occasions, one with Fergosi and one with Dallas Green. But uh, beside the point, I when Larusa was there, I was an everyday player. Uh, make a long story short, All Star break. If Harold Baines wasn't on the team, I should have made the All Star team that year. I was hitting 275. I lead the league in stolen bases and playing every day. So uh, I had 41 bags at all-star break and I was leading Ricky Henderson hitting 275, doing everything possible um, with the horseshit team. So for Gosey get, or uh, uh, Lewis gets fired about two months into the season. And then after all-star break, for whatever reason, you know, I went one for 12 or something uh, in Oakland. Hit the ball well, swung the bat early in the count a lot, wh- whatever the case may be. He calls me in the office, and he goes, um, he goes, I want you to swing this bat from now on, and you're going to take a pitch. So he throws me this freaking U1, and for the people out there that don't know what a freaking U1 is, a U1 is pretty much like a, uh, like a Babe Ruth bat. It, it was just like a 35-35. The handle was bigger than the barrel. It was just, it, it was a bullshit bat, you know. And he goes, here, you hit with this bat, and you're taking a pitch from now on. And I'm like, so I'm 22 years old at the time, and I'm like, take a pitch. I said, Jim, if I take, I said, there's advanced scouts in the stands. If I take a pitch all the time, you're taking my bunning game away. I'm going to be 0-1, 1-1, 0-2 all the time. I said, this game's hard enough when you got three strikes, let alone two, you know. And he goes, get the fuck out of my office. I'm like, all right. So, uh, make a long story short, I go on a one for twenty something skid, man. It, it was it was brutal. I, I was, you know, I, I I had no game left. So then, I get to about two forty. I'm just struggling, man. I'm 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 upset. I'm struggling. And then we get George Foster in a trade, or they, the Mets released him. He's forty five years old at the time. I don't know what he was. So they recalled Daryl Boston. They put George Foster in left field, and they benched me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right now we're in sixth place, and you got a guy that's got 42 stolen bases, and you're gonna and you're gonna bench him. 
So um, one week goes by, two, three weeks go by, and then I go in his office, and I said, Jim, I, I said, <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm coming in here. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not complaining about playing time. I just want to know what could I do to get back on the field. What, what, what do you want to see different? What, what, what could I do? And he basically ripped me a new asshole, said, you can't play for me. The, the best you are is a fourth or fifth outfielder. And if the fans and Chicago people didn't like you, I would have sent you down to AAA a long time ago. So basically it was like an ego thing, you know, like because everyone related to me on the south side of Chicago. You know, I was an underdog. You know, I, I, I went out. I did appearances. I treated people nice. And he didn't like that. I, I don't know if I was taking juice from him or I don't know what the case was. So uh, a month or two go by, I play, like, he gives a day off to Daryl Boston when um, you're facing Jack Morris or freaking uh, I'm facing guys that go 0 for 4 when they're playing every day. Those are the kind of bats I was getting, you know. So then uh, there's about two a month and a half left of the season, and Carlton Fisk comes up to me and goes, Hey, Kanji, you know you got a chance to break a record that has, has been held since 1910. All you need is seven stolen bases to, to, to the American League with the stolen base record. I'm like, I ain't going in that freaking office to talk to the guy. He's an asshole. So I know for a fact that Carlton Fisk went in the office with about a month and a half left of the season to talk on my behalf and say, hey, let the kid, let the kid play, man. He needs seven stolen bases. Let the fucking kid play. And one week goes by, two weeks go by, three. And then here I am, last four games go, going to Minnesota. This guy walks to the back of the plane freaking sits next to me and goes, hey, man, I, I heard you got a chance to break the record. I'm going to let you play the last four games. I'm like, what, a, what an asshole, you know? So, <laughs> I, so now I got to get seven stolen bases <clears throat> in four games, and I haven't seen the field in about a month and a half. And mind you, um, you got Sutcliffe, Viola, um, and who was the other guy? Uh, the, the right-hander that became a closer. I mean, I had like three. Oh, they could have been Cy Young guys. You, you, you know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm facing these guys, and I, I, I got to get on base. So, um, lo and behold, the first day I, I faced Viola, I, I think I got a base hit and walked a couple times. I stole, you know, two or three bags. Then um, was it Rick Aguilera or something? Yeah, I, yep, I faced yep, him. That's who it was. Mm-hmm. So, it was yeah, so I, I, yeah, so I, I stole. I think I got three or four. so basically. The last day, I'm facing um, Sutcliffe. And, dude, I, I mean, he was so slow to the plate, I could stole two bases in one pitch. I mean, all I had to do was get on. You know, I mean, he was like 1-5 to the plate. So, sure enough, the first inning, man, I got a base hit up the middle, stole second, and I got seven bags in four games. And I, I got the rookie stolen base record. So, I mean, but getting to Jim Fergosi's say, I mean, he's the only one that I really verbally – attacked in the papers when I got so then it doesn't end there so then you know the season's over whatever I go to spring training the next year you know knowing that I probably have to fight for a job or whatever you know so he calls me in his office and he goes hey man it it leaked that we're trying to trade you so you just come because back then there was no cell phones or anything he goes you just come to the park every day and I can't afford for you getting hurt so you're not going to dress out so you come and then if the trade doesn't happen, you just leave. So I really didn't even have a spring training in, in 87. So, he, you know, when I got traded to Pittsburgh, 
I just freaking I blasted him in the paper. I said he's the most unprofessional coach I've ever played for. You know, it it, it he's you know his first meeting with us was my I don't have an open door policy to my players. He was just an arrogant asshole. And I just we went back and forth for like two or three years, you know, in the papers. And he was bashing me, I was bashing him. And then one day I was in Philly and I'm like, "You know what? Enough of this crap." So I said I said, Jim, you got a minute? And we went in the tunnel, and I said, hey, man, I want to bury this shit. It's stupid. I said, I wish you nothing but the best. I got no hard feelings, man. And then he, you know, kudos to him. He goes, Kanji, I handled your whole situation wrong. I apologize. You know, you're a good kid. For whatever reason, it was just, it was, I can't explain why I treated you that way. And and we made amends. So, I mean, let him rest in peace, too, but. That was my Jim Fergosi story. Basically, he cost me a lot of money, too. I mean, I became yeah. a utility player after that because I got traded to right. Pittsburgh. And where am I going to play? Bobby Benia, Andy Van Slyke, and Barry Bonds. So I right. platooned yeah. with Barry the first year and became a really good utility player. And then the rest is history. But I'm, I'm not crying over spilled milk. But he cost me a lot of money because I could have been an everyday player. I, co- I probably could have – I probably would have ended up with 60-something stolen bases. And then that would have catapulted me being an everyday player another couple of years. And it, it, he, he kind of mind, he mind fucked me too, you know, from a mental standpoint. But I mean, I ended up, I, I was blessed with a great career and, you know, you know, I, I can't complain. Well, obviously, obviously, you know, when I look at, um, and I was, you know, it was furthering my aggravation was when you were, when you went to Houston in 95 and basically showed what you're capable of doing if you got a decent amount of at-bats. I mean, you had a great season in 95, uh, you know, 318 average, 457 on base, played a great, you know, great outfield. And you played for a guy in Terry Collins that, you know, we all in New York certainly uh, know very well. And it's funny, uh, John, if you're ever in New York, you've got to meet my dad because he's a dead ringer for Terry Collins. I mean, looks exactly like him. People stop him right? on the street and ask for autographs. It's unbelievable. But um, you, Terry was really good to you, and, and you responded by, you know, basically playing some of the best ball of your career in Houston. Yeah, he. Um, funny story about Terry Collins. And I actually – I closed that chapter. I – I circled around, and I got his phone number, and I and I called him, and I wanted to just close that door and just thank him for the opportunity. But I, when I was with Pittsburgh, he was a triple AAA manager in Buffalo, and I got sent down. Leland, he goes, hey, man, I'm going to send you to AAA for about a month. You need some uh, at-bats and stuff, and I can't get them up here for you. So I'm like, all right. So I went to AAA for a month, and Terry Collins thought I was going to be an asshole, you know, like big league it and whatever, but – I was there, the first one there, last one to leave. I worked with his base runners. You know, I played hard. And then when I got recalled, he goes, Candy, if I'm ever in a position to help you out, he goes, I appreciate everything you did down here. So fast forward um, <clears throat> with the Dallas Green shit, <clears throat> I, get, uh, I asked for my release. Terry Collins calls me the very next day. I'm in Chicago. And he goes, Candy, uh, what happened? You, you, you're retiring or what's going on? What's, what's your situation? I said, hey, man, I, I, I didn't appreciate what Dallas Green did to me, and I wasn't going to go to AAA for him because I, I, I didn't deserve to go to AAA. I, so I, I still want to play. He goes, well, listen, if the strike doesn't hit, <clears throat> if the strike doesn't hit, I'm going um, to call you and get you a contract, and we'll get you over here. I said, all right, so I said, where's your AAA at? 
He goes, no, Kansas. He goes, I'm giving you a big league job. He goes, if there's no strike, I, I need a fourth or fifth outfielder on my club. I'm like, shit, all right. So then, obviously, we all know the strike hit, and there was no baseball in 94 or no World Series. So he called me. He goes, um, he goes, go to winter ball, stay in shape, come to spring training. And, again, make a long story short, there was really no spring training. It was replacement camp. So I had to go to that because I was under my league contract. I refused to be a, a replacement player. They kept on it. I mean, it was a bullshit camp, man, what they did. <clears throat> So, uh, make a long story short, they, there was no really spring training for us. Then I go to AAA, and then big leagues start up again, and I'm in AAA. And then um, Phil Plantier gets hurt. Terry call, uh, calls me up, and I'm there for about a week and a half, and he played me. And first game, I go four for four against Smokes. I go three for three against somebody else. I got like five stolen bases within a week and a half or two weeks. And Phil Plantier is still hurt. So now my family, I'm flying back and forth from Tucson. And then finally, like three weeks into it, I'm like, Terry, I, I said, I'm going crazy, man. I'm in a hotel. I got freaking two kids. I mean, I'm, it's nuts. He goes, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, the general manager at the time, Watson. Watson goes, you know, hey, I, Kansas can't get a place yet. He's not on the team, blah, blah, blah. It's just a temporary thing. So um, we're playing Frisco that night. I get a couple of hits. I'm hanging out with Barry Bonds. I'm like, B, man, I said, this freaking guy does not want to, like, give me a contract, man. <clears throat> and my family's flying back and forth. I mean, I, I got a hotel. I got an apartment in Tucson. And Barry goes, don't worry about it. The next day, he goes into Tom Watson's office during batting practice. He goes, dude. Tell Kansas to get an apartment. He's on a goddamn team. He's hit freaking 380 last month. I just He's on the team. No shit. After ba- I batted practice, Watson called me and he goes, Kansas, go ahead, man. You can look for an apartment now. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. And, then, and, and then that's Harry cool Collins that it was. It's me. cool that it was him too, because a lot of people have. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I never had a good rela- I never had a good relationship, but with, you know, a couple of times I covered him, so it's nice to see that, you know, he stood up for a, a, a guy like you. That's that's a pretty cool. Yeah, he, pretty he, cool story. Dude, he was he was first class with me, man. Me and my family. He he bought me a wedding present, bought me a motorcycle, and, and it's not the material thing. Barry is really misunderstood. What he did wrong was he just. He got a bad reputation with the press. He treated the press like shit. I'm like, B, I said, you're on, you're on the you're you're on the top now, but you treat people like shit, man. And when you're when you're not on the top, you're you're gonna fucking hear it. And that's what's exactly happening. He he really <clears throat> he was a really good teammate, good friend. You know, um, they don't understand like early on with his dad, like his, you know, and they rekindled their relationship. But his dad was really hard on him and. And but other than that, man, <clears throat> the guy played the game. He was the best player I've ever played with, before steroids or whatever. He's he's a Hall of Famer, should be in the Hall of Fame. So, but it was it was he was a good guy. And then getting back to Terry Collins, Terry Collins played me, you know. <clears throat> and then funny, ironic. So I have I hit 320 that year. I I, I think I stole 28 or 29 stolen bases. Uh, I was second in the league in on base percentage. So I'm like, I got my stock back up. I'm like, yeah, man. Now I'm a free agent. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some money now. You know, at least get some security. Well, freaking, um, 
I become a ranked free agent, whatever that meant. So in other words, for me to go to another club as a free agent, they would have to give away their uh, uh, top draft pick, which I'm like, no one's going to do that for me. You know what I mean? So it was me having a great year basically penalized me in the free agent market. So in other words, uh, they were only offering me like a $100,000 raise, the, the Astros were. And I'm like, come on, man. I, You know, that's not even fair market value right now. I said, I'll take less money. Give me a two-year deal. And lock me in, and I'll be good with it because I was trying to get closer to 10 years, you know. And they wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. So I ended up signing at midnight. I signed a bullshit contract, and then I ended up playing that year with them. I did okay. I think I hit like 270. Um, I I started when I started, I hit really good. I I think I had a, over a 300 uh, average, and and on base percentage was good. But for whatever reason, pinch hitting that year, I, I think I went one for 30. I'd either have a horseshit at bat, or I would have a really good at bat and hit in the bad luck and whatever. But I I ended up having a decent year, and then that's when Leland called me. Um, Jimmy Leland called me, and I was one of the first free agent signed when uh, we won the World Series. Like So he called me. He goes, Kansi, he goes, are you ready? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going to sign you. You ready? I need, uh, you know, I'm doing my bench players first. You're my first guy, man. He goes, we're going to win the World Series this year. And he goes, just keep an eye on the TV, and we're not done with this. And then that's when we signed Alex Fernandez, Moise Alou, and the list goes on, and we ended up winning the World Series that year. And he, he gave me – so I signed a one-year deal with him. And then I said, Skip, I said, go back to Dombrowski. Do me a favor. I said, I'll take less money. Give me a two-year deal, dude. And he called me back 10 minutes later, and he goes, all right, you got a two-year deal. Um, unbelievable. So and then yeah. so that was like first time I got a guaranteed contract, and I was like, I think I was 31 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, look, yeah. I, you know, the, the book is great. Uh, I hope you sell a whole lot of them. Uh, I put a link uh, to the book on uh, the podcast here so people can uh, check it out. Uh, John Cangelosi, The Improbable Baseball Journey of the Undersized Kid from Nowhere. John, thank you so much for well, spending time with us today. Man. Thanks for having me on. No, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Okay, John? All right. You take care of yourself, man. Good luck. Take care. Again, that was uh, John right. Cangelosi. Uh, really just a great um, – Great interview, you know, uh, raw, you know, down to earth, you know, basically told you like it is uh, about his career uh, in the in Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, a guy like him who, you know, basically, you know, had a great on base percentage would be a very valuable guy right now. And uh, there are a lot of players that have uh, fit that bill, certainly, that uh, wish they played during this time in Major League Baseball. This has been uh, Gotham Baseball Live. I'm Mark Healy. Again, uh, don't forget to, to buy the book, uh, John Cangelosi, The Improbable Baseball Journey of the Undersized Kid from Nowhere. And we'll see you soon next time here on Gotham Baseball Live.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.